Welcome to Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. You can find links to all of Phil's resources at philsbaker.com. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today and take a moment to share this podcast with your friends. Now, here's Phil. Hey, y'all. Episode 90 is part one of my interview with Daniel Willis, the founder of the Sound Faith YouTube channel. And before I go any further, you should probably pause this episode right now, pull up YouTube, go to the Sound Faith YouTube channel, and become a subscriber. It's an incredible channel. Daniel was a missionary in China who began to question his interpretation of the Bible as he read through the scriptures with the members of his Chinese house church. In part one, Daniel gives his testimony, which is an incredible story that you don't want to miss. And if you're blessed by this episode, please consider going to my Apple podcast channel, Reclaiming the Faith, and becoming a subscriber, as well as uh, leaving a positive rating and review, which will help others find this channel more easily. All of my resources can be found on my website, philsbaker.com including links to all of my music and my Patreon page, my book and my blog. I'm blessed to be able to be a partner with BDK and Kurt of Omega Frequency. And please go check out their YouTube channel, Omega Frequency. Finally, the early Christian quotes that I use can generally be found on the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. And you can find a copy, a CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers set for a mere $5 there on the Scroll Publishing website. All right, well, without any further ado, let's get episode 90 rolling. All right, Daniel Willis, thank you so much for taking time to come on Reclaiming the Faith. And it's good to, to talk with you, brother. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man. Well, um, let's just start off by by you sharing your testimony with us. Yeah, um, I grew up in a kind of a a um, not a great situation, not a great family. My father was an alcoholic, and my mother was a workaholic, and so they weren't around a lot. And our uh, we were very dysfunctional, and. Uh, we went to church maybe, if I say like Easter, like Christmas and Easter, um, but it was probably more than that. But what I remember of church as a child was it was a Methodist church. And I remember often it was just about budget and about stuff like that. And I couldn't really relate, didn't really know why we went here. And then one day um, my mother, when we stopped going to church, mostly um, was my, they invited a homosexual to the church to uh, just kind of make people less afraid of homosexuals and have, just have a sit down and talk with them or something like that. My mom didn't like that, that it was like they were condoning his sin and just like the guy didn't believe, but he was just coming and sharing that it's okay to be homosexual or whatever. And so my mom left that church and we didn't really go for a long time. And my dad wasn't really a believer at the time. And when I was 13, 
I got, we, we, me and my brothers would break in the homes and like trash them. But I say break in the homes, they were being renovated. And we'd go find neighborhoods where new neighborhoods were being built. And in the evenings and the weekends, we'd go in there and go into the houses and just like break the sheetrock and do all kinds of bad stuff and uh, break the plumbing. I did. I wasn't into the breaking as much as just hanging out in someone's newly built house, but I was with people who did a lot of that. And then when I was 13, I started, my brothers would throw like little things in the road and make cars run over them. And so I started doing that and it graduated to bigger things and bigger things. Then we started throwing stuff at cars on the highway, highway 85 that goes through Atlanta. We live right next to Atlanta and the highway right through our woods is like the, the big, the fastest or the the major highway that goes through Atlanta. And, uh, day after day, me and my friends would go in different parts of the highway and try to make cars crash and throw rocks at trucks moving and put logs in the road. And then one day I found this massive log and we were 13. I was 13, but I was a big 13 year old. And, but the log was rotten. That's why I could pick it up. And I ran out in the middle of the road and dropped it. And then we ran and these 18, we hear all these 18 wheelers like squealing and uh, brakes squealing and loud noises. And um, we, we were really curious what happened, but we were too afraid. And then eventually we went back to go check it out and the cops were there and they jumped out. Well, it felt like they jumped out. I guess they heard us coming and they uh, waited for us to get there and they jumped out and grabbed us and they questioned us. And we had a backpack full of wood um, to throw in the uh, highway. And anyway, I got a felony when I was 13 and um, I didn't really know I was doing wrong. It was really weird. I didn't have a conscience. The The police officer asked me, do you know uh, what you're, how bad this was? And I was like, no. And he's like, do you know what a miss? Do you, he's like, this is a felony. And I was like, okay. He's like, you don't know what a felony is, do you? And I was like, I have no idea. And he's like, do you know what a misdemeanor is? I was like, nope, I don't know. And he's like, well, it's worse than a misdemeanor. And then he puts us in the cop car and we, uh, we were minors. So they eventually took us home and waited for our parents to get there. And um, anyway, I got community service and I worked at a church. And at, at around that point, I realized I did a lot of bad things and I didn't know how bad it was. And I just didn't have this great concept of right and wrong. And one day I was dating a girl around the same time and I had, I had this sword collection and this girl went to this party that I didn't go to and she kissed another guy and during a like spin the ball or something. And I heard about it the next day at school. So I went to that guy's house cause he didn't live far from me, but I put a sword down my pants leg and I peg, peg leg down the road because you know, you can't bend your pants without cutting holes in your pants. Um, and I didn't have a sheath and I got to his house and I waited in front of his porch the whole day until it became evening and then he never came home and I got to school the next day and thank, thank God he didn't cause I was really going to kill him. And, um, when I got to school the next day, I told him that I was waiting at his house and he's like, well, I go to my dad's house during the weekends cause my parents are divorced. And I had lost all anger at that point and had gotten over it. And, 
Um, we, we had become friends, but then I started to realize that something was really wrong with me. And my football coach invited us to something called the Starlight Crusade. And um, they had like these, uh, it was in a football stadium and there's probably three or 4,000 people, I guess, that go there. And they invite people like newsboys and uh, Toby Mac and all whatever famous band they can get. They would try to get one really famous band. Um, and I didn't know that they were famous at the time. And they would get speakers. They would try to find the best speakers to come and speak. And they would have these like all-you-can-eat all free pizza and hot dogs and popcorn and games and boxing like the huge boxing glove things were just a bunch of games, like bouncing games and really set up for kids. And we went and had a blast. And this is still like that year that I had got a felony. And then I got up in the state stadium and I'm listening to this guy preach and he's preaching like a hellfire and brimstone thing. And he describes me like all the sin that I was a part of. And, uh, I was shaken to the bones. I was like, wow, this is, I have to give, I have to change and I can't change on my own. I've tried to change. There's something wrong with me. And, um, and it was just a new realization how bad and evil I was. And it just became more real of that sermon. And so I went down and they, I prayed the sinner's prayer with them. Then they took me aside and asked me if I want to be baptized. And I asked them what it meant. And they didn't tell me what the Bible actually said. They just said it was a symbol but if you want to, you can be. And I said, oh, well, I want to. And uh, and I didn't understand why in the world it would just be a symbol to get wet. It didn't make any sense. And I, at the same time, I couldn't read. And so they said, join a church, read a Bible. And I didn't, wasn't able to join a church. I was 13, and I couldn't read. And so, um, but I knew one thing for sure is God didn't want me to have sex before I was married, married and he didn't want me to do drugs. And so... At that point, that was where I repented, and I and I never had had sex before then. So thankfully, uh, God protected me that way, and I'd never done drugs before then. And so, I just knew I'm a Christian, and those are the two things we're not supposed to do. <laughs> That's just what I knew about. It. I didn't know a whole lot more, and I knew that I wasn't supposed to beat up people anymore because I was a bully, and I wasn't supposed to. There was a few things I knew, but I didn't really quite get it. Get everything. I knew there was a God. And I knew that he loved me and I knew that I wasn't living for him and he wanted me to and I was making him upset and I needed forgiveness. I just knew a very general idea. and But I totally believed it. And so I do believe my journey started at 13. But when I became 16 and I got a license, I immediately went to a, a church close by our house and I started attending there, a central Christian church. And... Um, I'm going to have to speed this up because this could get long. Um, <laughs> so the the very first day I was in there, they um, their guy, I won't mention his name, but he became my best friend. He said, he raised his hand during the youth group and said, I have to confess. I looked at porn again last night and he starts crying and a bunch of the kids get emotional and we're crying. And, and they were like, well, we need to stop this. How are we going to stop this? And they all shared their victories and their struggles. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then, uh, they, they eventually gave me a Bible and I was like, well, I can't really read it. I'm not good at reading. I could read 
some, but I couldn't really understand what I was reading. I can like read a few sentences, but normally by the time I got through with the sentence, I couldn't tell tell you what it meant. And then uh, I believe it was Ricky Fernandez. I don't know. I don't know exactly where I got the uh, CDs, but I believe they gave me the CDs, like a hundred CDs of the Bible. And they said, well, well, then they, they gave me an NLT Bible, which is easier to read. And I said, I still can't understand it. Then they gave me the CDs and said, follow along with the CDs. And so I followed along. And in the summer between eighth and ninth grade, I learned how to read pretty well, comparatively very well. And um, then I just read the Bible constantly. I took it everywhere I went and I was told everybody about God. And then I, at that point, I started realizing that there's major differences in what the Bible says and what other Christians say that the Bible says. So my journey started off kind of that way where I wanted to believe whatever the Bible said, but slowly I started to buy into a lot of the Lutheran and Calvinist thoughts and not so much the Calvinist, but I just had a muddied thought and I was never content because it seemed like the Bible was in opposition with each other, but it was because certain uh, people of history made it in opposition with each other. And then I went to John after I worked at Publix for um, the reason I mentioned Publix is because a lot of people came to Christ for me, telling them at work about God and telling them that there's more than just reading the Bible and believing that there's, you can obey and that, that we are supposed to obey and we're called to follow him. And, so people started coming to my church, and then some of those people went that came to church and were baptized went on to Bible college before me because I was younger. But then I went to Johnson Bible College, which is now Johnson University. And I was in the preaching program, and I didn't tell you about my calling. But anyway, God very clearly told me I need to go in the, in the ministry, but I didn't know what that meant. I just assumed it meant preaching, so I joined the preaching program. But one of the sermons one of my pastors mentioned was, and you can cut any of this out, by the way, and I'm sorry that I gave you this part. No, man, go ahead. Go ahead, dude. Um, my pastor, Steve Malone, who I still love and uh, adore, even though we probably don't see eye to eye um, in a lot of things now, but he taught me that in this one sermon about Noah, he said, you need to make yourself available to God. That's what Noah did. And um, anytime you hear missionaries, I mean, this is what I remembered about it is like what, um, whenever you hear people talk or missionaries talk, you ask God if you want, if he, if you want to, if he wants you to go there. And so I would hear missionaries and I would ask God, is this what you want me to do? Is this where you want me to go? It just kind of became somewhat of a habit, not a great habit, but, uh, you know, when missionaries were there, I was always reminded of it. So I wanted to make myself available and at Johnson Bible College, we had chapel every day, and we often had missionaries. And I was working at Quiznos, I believe, or Walmart. I think it, I think it was Quiznos, though. And I was a manager. I don't know if I was a manager at this time or not, but I was a manager. And I was trying to, um, or an assistant manager. I wasn't the main manager, but it doesn't matter. But I was trying to do homework really late at night and balance having a job, a full-time job and doing school full-time. So, um, you're not supposed to do work homework in chapel, but I was uh, doing homework in chapel and the missionary got done speaking and I don't really know what he said, but I know he's a Chinese missionary and I still remember his name, uh, John McGinnis, cause I tried to find him after class. Um, I'm mean, after chapel, but I look up and 
he was finishing the sermon and I asked God, does he want me to go there? And I got chills all over my body and I was like, God, I don't want to make a decision based on chills. Um, based on emotions or maybe the taco I ate last night and <laughs> ask again, God, is this what you want me to do? Is this where I'm going to go? And it kept increasing to the point I was tearing up and I don't do that very often, more so now. Uh, but then I hadn't, didn't really ever cry. And um, I said, okay, I'll go. And the second I said, I'll go, he let me know I'm supposed to go to China. <laughs> and I believe that I went to China for a lot of reasons, but mainly to bring me on the journey to the historic faith. Um, because when we got there, um, do you want me to jump into that? Or? Yeah, that's great, man. Do it. Yeah. So my wife and I got married after four years of dating and then got married. And the first, after the first year of marriage, we went to China and we were in language school. I'd already had two years of language school in America, but then I had three more in China during the language school process, we had big groups in our house, but I'm going to fast forward. Eventually, um, our organization didn't want us to do ministry the way we were doing it. And they gave us this storytelling method and it didn't seem to work. And after a year, we wanted to go back to what we were doing or we wanted to plant churches. We weren't afraid to get arrested or kicked out or whatever, but they one of their big things was not to get arrested or kicked out or get in trouble or get other missionaries in trouble, but we weren't so worried about that. And then I found this Baptist guy who was bold and he was out there preaching. And the way I found him was I was out there, I was out at an English corner just telling people about God and um, asking them all kinds of questions and getting them thinking and uh, trying to convince them there was a God and that this God wants to know them and wants them to be a part of his life. And, um, one day I was out at this English corner. English corner is just a, a place in China where they, they're all over China, normally at schools where people get together to learn English. And so when a foreigner goes there, crowds of people just come around. So it's just the perfect place to tell people about God and for them to practice their English. And um, this one girl was like, hey, do you know this priest, Mark? And I was like, a priest? No, and I'm thinking this like white mm. collar, black uh, outfit, you know, Catholic looking thing. And I was like, no. He's like, well, his message is very similar to yours. He talks about this all the time. And I was like, and then the next time I went, and the next time I went, more and more people said, do you know this Mark guy? And I didn't know him. And then finally, one day he was there, and I went and talked to him, and then he said he had started a, a house church. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Mm. Can I do this with you? And so we started doing it together and he only had a few people at the church at the time, but very quickly I realized how different our beliefs were. And, um, half of his sermons was sending me to hell. If not more than half, he would say things like, if you believe baptism has anything to do with your salvation whatsoever, you're going to hell. And if you, he just had all kinds of stuff like that. Like, um, if you believe that, obedience is important or if you want he had a sermon on eating blood and how we should uh how because the chinese people eat like blood pudding uh it looks like gelatin but it's blood and and a soup and they eat it in other ways too like blood sausage and and uh he was the chinese christians believe you don't shouldn't eat blood and i don't either but uh he 
said he basically was trying to get everybody to eat blood, not at church, but saying it's okay. And not only it's okay, you should go eat it. So it's not on their conscience anymore. And so it won't prevent other people from coming in the kingdom who do eat blood. So kind of the opposite of Acts 15. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, very much so. And, uh, and he actually, I actually, out of bad, during the struggle, I actually ate a piece of blood because he put me on the spot in front of everybody at a restaurant. Hmm. And I said, I don't want to eat it. And he's like, what do you think? It's going to send you to hell or something? I was like, that's not the point. And um, I just don't feel the same way you do about this. And then, you know, all these people that I'm teaching about God and they're all looking at me and it's, I should have held firm, but I didn't. Um, and I ate a cube of the Jello blood and I've repented and thought about it and prayed about it. Often since I know God has forgiven me, but it's still one of those things like I knew it was wrong and I shouldn't have. And I, it was just, uh, you know, just, uh, anyway, we were at this church. I was a leader at this church and it was growing. There's a lot of people coming and we had two guys who were very interested in being uh, pastors. And so we started training them and sitting down with their wives at the same time. Uh, and they, I would teach classes and at different times and Mark would teach. And then every time I would teach classes, not every time, but very often they would say, well, that's not what Mark teaches. And I was like, well, what does Mark teach? And then they'd tell me and they showed me the book that he was using and it was called Firm Foundations. And, and I would be like, well, how much of my own words or what, what have I been using? And they were like the Bible. And I said, how much have I said and they're like, not much. You've just been reading the Bible. And uh, and I was like, well, it's your choice, but um, I believe it's what the Bible says and that we shouldn't be using that other book. And let's just focus on the Bible and make it simple. Anyway, I was kept wanting to leave the church, and God kept letting me know I shouldn't. And I would go home, and I would have sleepless nights, and I'd look at my wife, and I was like, I'm getting sent to hell in his sermons like every Sunday. Um, and, but God's using us here and I don't want to leave and God, I don't feel like God's leading us away, but what do we do? And so I just tried to be the person of peace and tried to not cause ruckus, but I would still preach the truth. And, um, I would kind of avoid subjects that I knew that I would be, you know, split a church really quick. And, um, now, I would bring up things that I knew that Mark, uh, it doesn't matter. But anyway, I realized Mark, this guy, he's so confident about his beliefs. And I'm so confident about my beliefs. And I can clearly see for sure two or three of these things are absolutely wrong. And some of them I'm not sure about, but they feel wrong. And I wonder how many things I'm wrong about that I think I'm right about. And so I started second guessing everything I've been taught. And then around that time, God let us go. He said, okay, you can go start another church. So it moved to another place. And I was walking to class just about half the time. And uh, it's a really long walk, but I just meet people on the road and invite them at our house and invite them to Bible studies. And long story short, we started having Bible studies and we rented a building and, um, and I was just deathly afraid to teach because I didn't want to be judged harshly. I mean, I knew I'd be judged more for being a teacher and I wasn't sure what was right anymore. And we had watched some David Pawson videos. I don't know if you know him, but he had said, you should read the Bible, all each book, all in one sitting. 
And so that's what we started doing. And on Thursday nights, uh, the very first time we read the book of Luke, and we started at six, and then we ended at one o'clock at night in the morning. And um, the ladies, we had about eight or nine people there, adults, obviously not children. And my wife is at home with our children. And the ladies were like, uh, so impressed and so moved, they said, well, uh, let's read Matthew now. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, we have been here all night. We, I have to go to work tomorrow. There's no way. But I was really excited that they were so excited. So we kept doing that. And we just read the whole book, each book, uh, Matthew. And we went through the Bible in really quick time because mm-hmm. of that as a church. And the church kept growing and I was barely saying anything. Um, I would just ask questions like, how do we put this into practice? How do we do Mm. this? And they would have so many things that I'd never thought of. And they took so many things very serious that I never took serious. And it just kept changing me and changing me. And then one day we read the book of, I had been changed a lot. And this might've been a year later. I'm not sure, but we read not, not quite a year because I think we finished it in six months. Um, But we read Corinthians and, Corinthians 11 went by and we read, we read the whole book in one sitting. But then the next day, uh, two ladies approached me from the church and said, should we be wearing head coverings? We wanted to mention it, but nobody wears head coverings and your wife doesn't. So we assume we don't need to. And I was like, I told them what the, what I learned at Bible college and I shouldn't have that. It's just the long hair. It's just prostitution. But then really quickly they pointed out it's not the long hair because right here it says, if you don't, wear it you need to shave your head and if they if they already had long hair then and it was the long hair then it would just already count and why you know it didn't make any sense if you read it through thinking it's long hair that whole sentence doesn't make sense so i went home and i didn't i I just assumed it was the prostitution thing i didn't research it but then my wife came out and she wasn't a part of the study because she's that particular study because she was at home with the kids again because those go really late and um, she said, uh, I was reading Corinthians 11 last night, and should I be wearing head covering? And I was like, okay, this can't be a coincidence. Because hmm. didn't she didn't even know what we were studying. And then, so I started researching, and I just, I, the, my research was just reading the Bible, reading Corinthians 11 over and over. And I said, well, it says right here, you should make that decision on your own or whatever, like the, and I'm very misquoting it, but um, I can grab a Bible in a second. We need. And I said, I'll support you, whatever you do, um, because we had made so many changes. And uh, she came out the next morning with something funny on her head. And I was like, okay, I guess this is it. We are doing this. Hmm. And then, so I started researching at that point because um, I knew all the missionaries and all the Christians would be like, what are you doing? Why do you have something on your head? And then one day, a few days later, I asked her, so why, what made you decide that you should wear a head covering? And she said, well, I wanted to honor my head. I wanted to honor you. And it made me cry. And I was like, whoa, I, I had no idea. I just thought you, you know, she said, well, it says there to honor, to honor your head, you wear a head covering. And, and the, the head of the church is Christ, the head of God is, uh, I mean, the head of Christ is God, the head of church is Christ, the head of, you know, and it goes through. And she said, I wanted to honor you. And to, to not have it on is dishonoring you. And I was like really moved. And then I read like from the first 
century up from Christ all the way through 1900s, all denominations everywhere wear head coverings. Not all of them all the time, but most of them all the time. And then I got the early Christian writings, and it wasn't only in Corinth, it was all over mm-hmm. the map. Uh, they were wearing head coverings. And then I got this book, and when you go through the 200, I mean, it's all these pictures of uh, women, and they all have head coverings on almost every page. Can you read the title of that book for the listeners? It's not a very good read. It's <laughs> Two Centuries of Costume in America. It's just about what people wore for 200 years. And it was published in 1903, and it, it was about 1620 to 1820, but um, she said one thing for sure, um, and I can find the page number, and you can put it in the description if you have those on the podcast, but... Um, the it says something of this extent that every woman one thing's for sure every woman everywhere doesn't forbade to wear a head covering in church or something like that Hmm. anyway so we adopted the head covering we started reading all the early christian writings and realized that they they believe the same thing our church believed everything as a simple interpretation and one thing that was different was that none of them took any scripture and put them in opposition with each other uh, because of this scripture, this scripture is not true. They were all both and. Um, you, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and James 2, 4 were not in opposition. They were both. Nice. You took everything together, and Satan wants it to be an either or, mm-hmm. and he wants us to ignore some part and and cling to one part and make us divided and enemies in the church. And um, I just realized, wow, this is all the early Christians are taking everything very serious and everything's both. And, and there is no fight in scripture. There is no Hmm. disunity. And um, then when we came to the States, so that I don't know which questions, but this is all part of our testimony. We came to the States um, after, so the, police were after us. The church grew and grew and grew. And we weren't living the historic faith as a church. We were trying to. We didn't know what to do. We, I didn't know how far to go. Are we a cult? Like, I find all these people online that believe the same thing. And they've existed forever. Forever, Like, all these types of Anabaptists, which a lot of them have gone different ways now. But um, the followers of the way. And then we found Kingdom Fellowship weekend videos and Anabaptist perspectives and a lot of Dean Taylor and David Brousseau's scroll publishing. And we had gone through a lot of that in China already. And we got here and we thought, well, these things are everywhere and we couldn't find them anywhere. Mm. And the first Anabaptist type church we went to in the South, uh, the lady was the elder. She wore jewelry and tight pants and had her hair cut really short. And I was like, this is a Mennonite church. Um, we didn't know what Mennonite church would be like at all. I never been, never really, I've heard the name, but I didn't know what it was. And she's like, well, kind of, we were Mennonites, but we kind of moved away and from it. And um, I was like, well, I could see that. Um, and then we went to another brethren in Christ church and which was in Tennessee and they were condoning homosexuality. And I was like, okay, maybe these churches don't exist. I'm just really confused. And then I got a hold of Matthew Miliani on the phone, uh, part of the followers of the way. And he said, I was telling him I wanted to go to the Kingdom Fellowship weekend. And we had bought a camper. 
we were traveling around to churches because we thought we were going back to China. Um, I think I skipped a bunch of parts. Where did I talk about them getting arrested? Uh, no, part? not uh, yet. No, but we can go back yet, to that. I can ask you a question about that in a little bit. Keep going, man. Keep going, man. Yeah. So we thought we were gonna go to another city um, after the police were after us, which you'll hear about in a minute. Um, this is in America. Yeah, this is in America. We got back to America. We went to these two churches. And the police were out after us in China, not in America. Gotcha. Uh, fled China. We got into yep. America. We still plan to go back to China because they, um, it's a long story. I'll tell you in a minute. But they, so we were going to churches, raising support, figuring out what city we're going to move to because we were in one city for 10 years. And, um, but our ultimate goal was getting to the Kingdom Fellowship Weekend to try to find like-minded people. And we uh, back back up a little bit because when we were in some of the churches that we had kind of been affiliated in the past, not all of them, but some of them uh, were take were condoning lots of sin. And a long story short, they would say stuff like, "If you in certain Bible studies, not on the pulpit." They said stuff like, if you looked at less porn to please God, you'd be cut off from Christ. And if you had orgies, if you stopped having orgies to please God, you'd be cut off from Christ. And they discredited everything in the Sermon on the Mount. Hmm. And we just didn't feel comfortable. And um, we were really wanting to find a family that believed the same thing because we kind of thought we're either a cult or um, we're doing the right thing. We don't want to be a cult. We want to do the right thing. And so... Uh, it comes to find out there's a ton of people that believe the way we do that the um, and they've existed forever uh, all throughout history and they just a lot of them aren't online right, <laughs> so, right. Um, we go to the kingdom fellowship weekend we meet tons of people and it was just the most enriching amazing uh, feeling and we weren't alone and um, then we find out they're all over the U.S. and all over the world, and there's a guy from Chile there, and there's people from 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 all over. And um, but it really did it. It made the whole narrow road idea seem much more narrow. That you know that we actually have to follow the teachings of Jesus. That it's actually to become a Christian actually means to become imitators of Him and follow His way and to do what He He did. And including suffer as he suffered. And in any way, it was just, then I got invited to David Rousseau's church to speak because I had mentioned to them that um, he had really changed my life in his writings. And when I, we had already come to the same conclusions before we read his writings, but then when we read his writings and the early Christian writing, the commentary that he had, it more affirmed it up that, okay, if all these people who are the uh, disciples of the apostles believe this way, unless all the disciples of the apostles that we have writings of were completely, had already become heretics, if they didn't become heretics, they were the heretics. And the chances that they're the heretics are very small. Mm-hmm. Uh, that John, you know, that he, anyway, so um, that when they realized I was on the same page, they invited me over to their church and I spoke and, then I fell in love with the church family and everybody, um, and I, we were invited to everybody's house all the time and ate lunch. And we were living in our camper at a, a campground, actually the campground of the Roxbury Holiness 
I mean, it's Roxbury Holiness Camp, but the Kingdom Fellowship weekend was had taken place there. It was over, but then we we went back down to Pennsylvania. I mean, Tennessee and Georgia, and told everybody we're moving up to Pennsylvania. And we moved up here and uh, started. We joined the church um, with David Brousseau's. It's not David Brousseau's church. I mean, it is in a sense. He's an elder of three, but um, the way I kind of thought in the past, it was like this, like there's a main person that you consider his church, but it's not that way. Um, right. It's a plurality. Yeah. Plurality of elders. And mm. actually a, a guy who's very dear to me, who's super wise, but he, he doesn't have a college degree and, but he would be considered maybe the main bishop or elder or whatever you want to name it. Um, and, uh, but our, our three elders at our church are very, very, very different, which is amazing. Mm. It's, um, and they're all on the same page, but they all have very specific gifts and qualities. And, um, I don't know, it's just so enriching to become a part of a body that everybody will live and die for one another. And if we have a medical bill, they pay it. And if you have, um, I mean, just everybody's lives are interconnected and, um, everybody's about holiness. Nobody's forcing you into some, uh, way of thinking, but whenever we separate ourselves from the world, like TV programs and football and all that kind of isn't important anymore. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, and all of our conversations, uh, naturally, somehow come right back to Christ and the kingdom and living for God. And um, it's just the most enriching thing. And it, it, it literally, in my mind, is very similar to the Acts chapter 2 church in a modern-day uh, setting. Hmm. And, I mean, not, not everybody's selling everything all the time, but I know that if I or someone else in the church had a big problem and they needed money and we had to sell stuff to get it in not only would people do that, um, but they would not ever want the money back. It, mm. you know, it's, um, we don't have a pool, like a community fund or anything, but what's mine is theirs and what's theirs is mine. And, um, mm. uh, just really living Christ teachings as best we can. And, and everybody, it's not one of those churches that you, anybody could be wrong and, um, we're all looking for the truth and we want to find the truth and we desire the truth. And so if we all find out we're wrong about something, we'll change it. Mm-hmm. Or if we find out that all the early Christians did something and none of us are doing it, we'll do it. And like, uh, not all the time, but most of the time we do holy hands, lift up holy hands and prayer and uh, greeting each other with a holy kiss and washing each other's feet and just everything that's in the Bible. We don't, neglect any of it and but the harder things are for this culture and this generation is uh women speaking and teaching and and church and um but we abide by all of the rules we don't pick and choose which ones if if paul or or any of the apostles or any of the you know if uh, jesus said it said it we do it and um and if we find out we're wrong we promptly admit we're wrong and we figure out what's right and we do that and um it's not like there's this etched in stone. It doesn't fluctuate much. 
uh, because there's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and I mean thousands of years of people living this way and we have all these writings so it's not like it's one day we're like this and I mean one day we're all the way to the left and the next day we're all the way to the right I forgot this is in a video um and uh but it's but if there were if we did find out like all the early Christians drank wine but it was most likely watered down wine um and so often then we have communion we have wine and grape juice. We used to do one cup because that's what the Bible had, but because of COVID we're at two. And, but that's kind of our journey. And if we didn't, if I didn't get join the Baptist church in China, if I didn't start help planning that church and this pastor, so sure of all his beliefs, so, so sure it actually making me reevaluate everything. Um, I wouldn't have come to the conclusion that the Bible actually means what it says. I mean, most people say they believe that, but, um, you know, it says turn another cheek and love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. And all those harder teachings, um, they actually mean what Jesus actually meant what he said. And we're, we can and do have the power of the Holy Spirit and God to help us do those things um, and to live those ways. And before I just... It was kind of like I had this idea of maybe easy believism or obedience as long as it's uh, not works-based salvation, where that that's not in the Bible, works-based salvation. It's uh, James talks about works completing our faith, and Peter talks about um, adding to our faith virtue and virtue knowledge, and, and he mm-hmm. goes through, and, and that um, word that he uses is, what's the word? Not substitute. The word that they use actually literally means add to your faith, and then yeah. and then he says he continues to say like, "I'm going to die soon, and I want to make every effort to make sure that I remind you all the time of this. And even when I'm gone, I want you to remember this that you do this. And so, faith isn't this stagnant thing. It's this thing that keeps moving forward. It keeps uh, learning and following Christ. And yes, the journey is going to look different." for me and for someone else. And it's not all about salvation. Um, it's all about living for the King and loving God and salvation is going to be automatic. I mean, it's like, um, it, salvation's good news, but it's not the complete good news. It's it, the entirety of the new Testament. One of the things I've learned from the early Christian writings is all these guys, they often say, um, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't have it. The one that I have underlined here, but, they say stuff like, and in his gospel, and the his is capitalized, and then it says, or it says, Jesus says, and they'll they'll quote the Sermon on the Mount, something in the Sermon on the Mount, and they call it his gospel. Yeah. And it's like, and then all through it talks about the gospel of the kingdom of God, and in the Bible it says all that. And then they saw it that way as well. And it's not just this easy believism, Jesus came, he died for us so that we can go to heaven gospel. It's like, Jesus came to become king and have followers who are servants and brides and and uh, priests and children of God who live for him and want to please him and want to obey him. And so when he comes, he comes back. It says he comes back to, to receive his kingdom, and then he takes the bad out of his kingdom. He takes the people who weren't obedient. And, uh, and, and so anyway, all that to say is that... Um, the gospel has been revealed, not like 
magically revealed, but just by the simple obedience of the Chinese Christians um, had revealed to me that, wow, the gospel is so much more powerful than I gave it credit for. I mean, I would say that it was powerful, but you didn't see the power in my life. Um, You saw it maybe a little bit, but it wasn't completely real to me um, until I watched the or these Chinese Christians when they read stuff like "Don't worry about anything," instead pray about everything. They really, even though they still did worry, when people would worry, people would mention, "Hey, we're not supposed to worry. Let's give it to God. Let's not worry about these. This is God's. We can. He can handle this." And then they would say, "There's a verse that says, 无论做什么事都不要抱怨. Um, and it's no matter in the Chinese, it's no matter what in all things." Don't argue or complain. And um, whenever they read that, they're like, we're not supposed to complain or argue about anything. And it just kept, fe- it, every week, it stayed for a long time. I mean, there were people who argued and complained sometimes. It wasn't a perfect church by any means. There is no perfect church, but they were seeking it. And it was just so amazing to see that the majority of everybody, the majority of the time, you didn't hear complaining or arguing or gossip or slander and that the church was so united because of it and another thing that unites church is persecution whenever you have an argument in the church it seems really big until the police come knocking at your door in china and are trying to arrest somebody i just want to find you lord i don't want to gain this world i just want to find you lord so come for me I just want to find you, Lord. I don't want this broken world. I just want to find you, Lord. So come for me, come for me, my Redeemer, my Defender, my Creator. He knows my name, my Provider from my childhood when I find you Lord I'll never be
You seek us, you save us, you make us your family. You seek us, you save us, you make us your family. You